So, welcome those who are weak in the faith. So, who are the weak? Um, well, let's move on, because he'll explain himself. Okay. But not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. <laughs> so, oh, you can sit yeah. at our table, but we're going to have a debate. <laughs> How often do we do that? We do it. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Oh. I'm definitely weak. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> well, interesting verse, if you just read it all by itself. Yes. <laughs> One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. <laughs> yeah. The dispute is whether or not to eat meat offered to idols. Okay. That's the underlying dispute. Thank you. So who's the weak one again? The weak one is the one who won't eat meat offered to idols because that's worshiping the idol. Wasn't that why Daniel didn't eat the, all the food? Yeah. Because of it mm. being offered mm. to idols? Mm. Okay. Yeah. So the, we, we, so we, don't, we don't think of Daniel as weak in faith, do we? Right? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so does that mean he was weak in faith? You know, Tom, like all the, the, this mm-hmm. is clear word, but he was one of my favorite. But he, his translation, he says, um, some get hung up on the idea that what they eat will affect God's love for them. Yeah. That, that was an interesting way to put that. <laughs> well, you know, let's let's think of a modern illustration of that. I was here as a student at PUC in the 1970s, late mid to late 70s. And there was a group of students, a substantial group of students, who who had seemingly had a revival and were really, really ardent at following everything Ellen White said. Yes. And uh, they would not eat, drink milk. They would not, they would not eat Linkats or any, any of the analogs. They would not eat any of them. Uh, they would not, of course, eat cheese. They would not eat eggs. Uh, so they were vegan. Mm. But they were even, and they would only eat whole wheat or whole grain bread and, and on and on. I mean, they had a list. And they would only, and the girls would only wear dresses that were long. Mac, and we called them maxis. I know. Um, <laughs> my best friend was in that group. And she said to me, Jean, I don't think we could ever sit together and have a meal together without having a food fight. And it was true. I I would I was a milk lover back then. I shouldn't have been, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. admittedly. <laughs> milk was bad for me. But I was a milk lover, and I would buy one of these cartons, little half pints of milk. Sure. And I would put it on my tray, and I would have... Something with cheese or Jose. Good morning. Hey, Glad to see you. Sorry, I'm late. That's all right. <laughs> Good to see you. I drop you. all my kids and of all of course. you. How are you? Hey. Wow, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> Good to see you. Thank Have you. a seat. <laughs> We're in Romans 14 talking Ooh. about food fights. Absolutely. Gene, where was the gathering point for that? Because he was an interim chaplain. That's right, you were at Berkeley, and we went to Berkeley. 
during that time. Oh, we were at Berkeley. Okay, that's different. Yeah, you were you were at Berkeley, okay. and and we would go down to Berkeley for for church, and then yeah. to feed the homeless afterwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that group was part of that. Okay. Oh, that right? Yeah. So the, not everybody in the Berkeley campus ministries group was like them, mm-hmm. but so we were a mix of that. So we're talking about having a food fight over. <laughs> so I would carry m- this milk by my tray, and I'd walk by this table where these p- kids were sitting, and, and oh. I would just feel the vibes of hostility <laughs> rise as I walked by, and I was like, don't think I'll sit there. <laughs> Not welcome. So who are the, in that scenario, who are the weak? Well, them. <laughs> yeah. they're, the, they're the weak. Yeah, I think so. They're the weak. Mm-hmm. Because they were passing judgment. Because they, oh, he, they, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't see balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They couldn't, mm-hmm. they couldn't recognize that some people could eat those mm-hmm. things, and, and mm-hmm. it was okay. And mm-hmm. I, I remember during that time, um, I was taking health science from. Uh, uh, he taught when my parents were here, so he was a fixture. Uh, I can't remember his name anyway. He had us read a little booklet on diet councils on diet and foods. It was kind of like the Cliff Notes mm-hmm. <laughs> version mm-hmm. of Council on Diets and Food. I somehow misread the syllabus and decided that he wanted me to read Council on Diets and Foods, and so I was trying to plow through it. And I was really nervous. I was like, I'm just going to get really condemned in this book. And halfway through, I was like, you know, she's really reasonable. Mm. She's really balanced. Mm. She's not at all like they make her out to be. <laughs> oh, seriously. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm so glad I made that mistake, you know. He ended up just letting me count that half of the book and write my little report, and he accepted it. Bless his heart. Um, nice. But it was, um, it was really eye-opening to me. Yeah. Well, Berkeley was quite a shock for me. Yes. We, we opened that... Uh, deli. We had the deli downstairs. The most processed thing I could serve was tofu. The, you know, most of this health stuff comes out, a huge amount comes out of Berkeley, and I didn't know that, but they were very, because we had the, you know, the Greenpeace people, but, you know, we had all you these shrinks in a little restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They were, uh, yeah, I bet that was true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. One of our issues was not food at that time, although that could have become one with with you know, people that came from um, where was it from Weimar. Mm. We could have had some real. Well, you understand that the year I'm talking about was the year that there was another group on campus composed of faculty and staff who were who were planning to start Weimar. And we oh. started the next oh, fall. Oh, oh, I see. Dick Wynn. Dick oh, Wynn was the associate okay. pastor of the church. He had a school of discipleship, and out of the school of discipleship came this group from Oh, Omar. how amazing. We were here during a very rich time. Very rich. <laughs> 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 and believe me, I, I felt it, because my best friend would say, uh, we're going to Weimar this Sunday to clean up. Would, would you, um, why don't you come? You ought to, really ought to come. And I was like, um, mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have too much to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and most of the time I spent that quarter praying mm. because I, I was really torn. I, I did not want to go to Weimar, but I was afraid God might want me to be, mm-hmm. too, because mm-hmm. I had some really negative experiences with self-supporting schools. Mm-hmm. Long story on that. And 
consequently, I, I honestly felt that if God wanted to be, do cruel, unusual, unusual punishment for me, he would send me to a self-support school. <laughs> I love it very much. Well, to me, in, in Romans 14, I think verse 15 is the, uh, is the place mm-hmm. of all, and to me. Okay. Um, I, I have my, my Bible in Spanish, so you're going to have to read your... Uh, you can get a you can get a Bible up there. That's what I was thinking. Because of food, your brother is hurt. You are no longer walking according to love. Mm -hmm. Okay, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's uh, that's the basis of it. And and you know, and you know that group. They were sincere. They meant well. PUC was not following the blueprint. We're going to follow the blueprint. That was what. This whole Weimar thing was. Of course. And I know the next year, God really guided me away from that. And the next year, my best friend, who was at Weimar now, she wrote me and she said, You know, it's really crazy here. I'm being criticized for so many things. I feel like all my hair is being pulled out of my head. Oh, no. It was was really the, the love of Jesus just... And it, and it seems to be, you know, Jesus made it very clear. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The Utah's common meant and mm-hmm. and so on, mm-hmm. and for, and forget the deeds of love and justice and mercy. These you ought to have done, and not leave the others undone. And I've always wondered, how do you do that? Because those of us who want to emphasize love, we often don't tithe our common and our mint, <laughs> so to speak. True. So to speak, we don't. You know, we do kind of leave the others undone. And those who are preoccupied with mm-hmm. those small issues mm-hmm. that are peripheral <clears throat> for sake love and, and justice, mm-hmm. how do we get those two together? Oh, that's such a good I, I worked with somebody who loved to wear wool socks and long skirts. So I often, in my mind, in order to justify, it's a hot day and I'm setting up a children's division thing. And she walks in and she's in wool socks and a long skirt. And I just told myself, righteousness by wool socks. And whenever there's a legalistic issue like that, I just put it in my mind, it's righteousness by wool socks. Yeah, it, it, what you said, Jane, and you know, what you're saying too, Cheryl, it, it's really hard to keep that balance, um, especially if you're concrete sequential personality type, which most advocates are. We attract those. Which kinds. is unfortunate for me because I'm I'm frontal I'm frontal centered. I'm I'm up in my upper stairs all the time, and the basal yeah. functioning is very minimal. Which is it's a fault for me. I have to struggle to uh, know where to put pieces of paper. That's my de- biggest downfall. <laughs> I can wander all over the house trying to figure out where to put something. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you yeah. know, that the temptation to change people's mind is, is strong. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's and we why have it on both sides. Yeah. yeah, both sides have that. I, I've, I've experienced churches where they're really on one side and mm. whatever, and churches on the other side that they don't don't eat anything. Mm-hmm. So I go like yeah. instead of trying to change them, you know, let them yeah. be, let hey. them grow at their own pace, things like that. You know, I, I had one example in my ministry. I was pastor in a little church out in um, Yelm, Washington, 
And there's this retired missionary, Elder Garner, we call him. I don't know if he was ever an elder, but he was a returned missionary. And we had a lot of ex-hippies and stuff, and it was just a small church. <laughs> it was church quite a rich then. era then, too. And he was extremely strict in his diet and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he, I remember at Pollock one day, all the members were, oh, this is jello. We can't We can't this. catch it. So everybody, one of my new members had brought this nice big jello. He walks over right in front of all these Pharisees. Pushes <laughs> up a big right. serving of Jello. Walks over to that new member. Says, "This is so good. Thank you for bringing this." Says, oh. And he would. He <laughs> himself a, was a very strict eater. And that's a saint. <laughs> I have to say, wait, thank you. Wait. <laughs> yeah, we just, uh, but it is. Those are rare occasions. I mean, yeah. have someone it's has very, that kind of depth of spirituality. Yeah. People are more important. Than it's it's very rare. Eat. <clears throat> our our default as Adventists seems to be, critis- to be critical. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's what I and and that's the trap I got into that um, happened when I was fourteen. I was so critical, hypercritical, mm-hmm. and then my conversion completely changed that. Mm-hmm. But it, it does seem to be our trap. Well, let's see what else we can get yes. out of yeah. this. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain. So we should not despise people who are legalistic in our viewpoint. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> Come on. That's fun. <laughs> it's fun to despise them. Verse 3. Well, because it makes us feel better then. Yes, yes, because... I am bigger. It makes mind. it's I'm broader mind. Yes. It's it's called yes. self righteousness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who are we calling Pharisees then? Right? Liberal self righteousness. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Guilty as charged. And those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat. So he's talking to both sides. Yeah. Wow, what about yeah. For God has welcomed them. Hmm. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall. And they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Yeah. That's it's, it's, it's pretty succinct. I wonder what would happen if Dave preached a sermon on this passage and, and expanded it to other areas. Oh. Would he get hate letters? Probably. I don't know. <laughs> no, because it, it goes on to the, talking about the days. Yeah. Well, so here we go. Let's, let's move on to the really difficult the attack of part. the Adventists. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Some judge Three one day to day. be better than another, mm-hmm. while others judge all days to be alike. Mm-hmm. I remember Berkeley. Uh, my best friend Susan and I were walking down Shattuck. Mm-hmm. I think it was Shattuck. And all of a sudden we were accosted by two men who, perfor- who explained to us that they were Jesus people. And they wanted to know, what are you? Very emphatically. And I said, we're Seventh-day Adventists. And they began to just rail on the Sabbath and rail on Seventh-day Adventists. Apparently they had a next-door neighbor who was Seventh-day Adventist, and she hung out over the backyard fence and tried to indoctrinate them on Seventh-day Adventism. Um, and so uh, they were just going on and on. And um, here it is. Jesus' people kept all days as holy. Mm-hmm. And um, we argued in Paul. I remember that. 
Mm. I remember wishing I could ask Paul to please explain himself. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to the place where I realized that arguing out of the Bible wasn't going to be any good. And so I put my hands behind my back and I said, may I tell you why I keep the Sabbath? And they stopped arguing and listened. And I just gave them my testimony. Yeah, personal testimony. And that seemed to do the, extinguish the fire and the heat, and we ended up parting in, in kind of a bit of an amicable... Uh, oh, so cool. Call. Well, that was a powerful movement, that Jesus movement that mm-hmm. changed that whole hippie culture yeah. into kind of a Jesus culture. It was yeah. amazing what happened yeah. that era. And I honestly think that God used them. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was more I was harder in my mind on the little lady on the who the, who was trying to indoctrinate them in Adventism because of maybe the way she was going about it. Or maybe not recognizing the timing of the spirit. You know, Ellen White makes a statement very clear that when we go to talk with the people, to talk to our neighbors, we should not first bring up the Sabbath. That we should not make that the issue. That we should talk about Jesus, talk about you know the things that we can agree with in common, um, and not talk about the Sabbath until they're ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, just some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. Also those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. And we have gone, we have, we have done somersaults trying to make this not be the seventh-day Sabbath, right? Yeah. We have tried so hard to say, no, you do not, you cannot be fully convinced in your own mind about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is God's day and you've got to keep it holy. Mm-hmm. So let me read a statement. Desire of Ages, 550. In matters of conscience, the soul must be left untrammeled. No one is to control another's mind, to judge for another, or to prescribe his duty. God gives every soul freedom to think and to follow his own convictions. Every one of us shall give account of himself to God, she quotes Romans 14:12. No one has the right to merge his own individuality in that of another. In all matters, all matters where principle is involved, and now she quotes Romans, let everyone be persuaded in his own mind. So that concludes the Sabbath. I don't think we can throw the Sabbath out on that one. Um, And she goes on, in Christ's kingdom there is no lordly oppression, no compulsion of manner. The angels of heaven do not come on earth to rule and exact homage, but as messengers of mercy to cooperate with men in uplifting humanity. Hmm. So what if we just said, sure, that can include Sabbath, let everyone be persuaded in their own mind. That doesn't change our ability to be persuaded in our minds to keep the Sabbath. And it makes, it, it actually is is going to win more than it's going to lose. Absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. Because, um, a colleague this week who will remain anonymous and I were talking and I uh, 
I was telling him about an episode that arrived in, occurred in class where one of my theology majors, we were talking about the Tower of Babel and power over and, and so on. <clears throat> and students were really perturbed about what was happening in the church. And and they were like, what do we do? And, and et cetera, is this Babylon, blah, blah, blah. And, and one student finally said plainly, what do we do if this happens in the church? Do we leave the church? And... Um, I said, I think God is bigger than the church. And my colleague corrected me. You think? You know that God is better than the church. And I thought about that later. If I had said, I know that God is bigger than the church, uh-huh. my students would have been less, less believing. Because I would have been sounding arrogant about it. Sounding self-assured in our culture, and it's it's a cultural thing, I think. It is. Uh, sounding self-assured it seems arrogant and high-handed to majority of young people. But to say I think mm-hmm. is is it allows for discussion, it allows for dialogue, it allows for it to enter mm-hmm. the mind in a gentle way. Uh, so I, I had to think that one over. Am, am I wrong? Because that's the way, just the way I talk. It's just the way I approach things. We don't we we don't leave people room for a choice. Yeah, there's no choice if you demand it. Which is why God has left room for doubt. Yeah, Yeah. it's why we haven't found Noah's Ark. Probably can't. It's probably disintegrated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's why we can't find Noah's Ark. It's why we can't find the Ark of the Covenant. It's Mm -hmm. it's why we can't find something with Abraham's name on it. Mm Not that that we're likely to, but Mm -hmm. but you know, God has left room for doubt. Mm-hmm. We're watching a couple of videos about um, on last night about people totally. One was Jewish, hated Christians, grew up in New York, the whole thing. And all three of these were just these oh, absolutely radical stories of how the Holy Spirit guided them, without, them to God. without any help. Really, God must be saying, you know, I really, the way you're acting down there, I really don't need you. I, I honestly don't need you. Please you stay out of the way. Oh, I, I tell you, I, I sigh and cry a lot almost every day mm-hmm. over the church. I, uh, we have so much to learn. And we think we know it all. So verse 7, we do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to God. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord. So to this end, Christ lived, died and lived again so that he might be both Lord of the dead and the living. And what does that have to do with not judging? Which is kind of the context here. Mm Mm-hmm. There are times when Paul just seems to wander off and yeah. to the thicket, and I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> then he comes back, and I'm right. like, well, he right. must not have left the trail he was on. <laughs> so it must have something to do with what he is talking Exactly. About. Well, I think verse 7 itself definitely does. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
this this is not when we pass judgment on another it's because we're uncomfortable having you around because you don't agree with us we don't live to ourselves and we don't die to ourselves so why are we judging you mm-hmm. so that part i can i can understand, I understand it. if we live we live to the lord and if we die we die to the lord he's talking about dying to self mm-hmm. i think okay. and he uses the metaphor of death to talk about that mm-hmm. for to this end Christ died and lived again and so for Paul the big metaphor he uses to talk about dying to self about living to God about almost every aspect of Christian life is the metaphor of Jesus' death and resurrection that to him is is an almost all encompassing metaphor so that's why he has it here So then, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For you all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us will be accountable to God. God is the one we have to answer to not our brother and sisters. You know how freeing that is when you think about it? Yeah. I'm just thinking, to create that kind of a a climate in a church or a fellowship, you don't have that judging, you don't have that comparing, and you're just, wow, that'd be be powerful. Amazing. Well, I think so much of judgment and comparing comes from our own insecurities, right? Yeah. 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 We feel threatened. We feel, oh, yeah. We're, we're, you know, we don't feel like we're good enough or we don't feel like we yeah. compare to someone. And so. And, and it also comes out of, of poor behavior, poor obedience. That is obedience for all the wrong reasons. Like, oh, right. like we do it because we have to. Oh, yeah. We do it because we're scared if we don't. Mm-hmm. We do it right. because... We have this long list of things that drive us, and they make us judge other people because that gives us security. Well, because like in saying, doing that obedience, it gives us that false right. sense of security, or yeah. a sense of security, yeah. Yeah. which isn't really yeah. where God yeah. wants us to have our security. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, it's human nature, what we're talking about here. Yeah. So therein, we need yeah. the Holy Spirit, right? Don't we? Yeah, because the, in our own strength, we do this judging, and we right. set ourselves up, and we obey on our own. It's the fruit. I mean, fruit of the spirit. We even judge ourselves. Yeah, that's true. Oh, we're we do. Very hard on ourselves. Very if, hard. If we're both hard on ourselves, <laughs> if we're very hard on ourselves, we're likely to be hard on other people. It's rare when you find a person who is very self-critical, not in an abasing sort of way, but very conscious of what they're doing, and and self-critical when they don't, and immediately. Pray about it and and move on. It's rare when you find that kind of a person who isn't hard on anyone else. You know, they're gentle. uh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I think that by by nature, what it says is that you're right or wrong, Mm -hmm. and and it doesn't leave you a way to to think that you might be wrong. I mean, you may not have the right thing. You may think it's right, but it may not be right. So I think the Apostle Paul is is making that claim. That you later on in life you might come back and say, "Oh, I was wrong yeah. back then." So don't judge. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. 
And that's why. And is the, the fact that it says every knee shall bow to me. Yeah. Um, and every tongue shall give praise to God. Um, I mean, that's the ultimate verse of that we're only accountable to God. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean yeah. and that's his conclusion. Yeah. yeah. Them. Each of us will be accountable to God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mentioned someone a few, I think maybe months ago, she was talking about someone and I said, let's not judge the person because we don't know who that person Later, the Lord is going to call him to do great things. Mm-hmm. Right now, he might be in that position, but mm-hmm. God can change his life just mm-hmm. in a right. second, you know. And now he's going to be doing greater things. You will be like, wow, you know, right. amazed by what, you know, he accomplished. Because the Lord can change someone just the yeah. next day. Yeah. Wake up and say, you know, I, the Lord has called me to be different. So we cannot judge people for whatever they do because later God can use that person to do great. Thank you for saying that to her. Um, we all need to hear that. But I think sometimes we just allow people to judge other people and we either stand up for them or we just say nothing. And I think it's it's really a, a issue that needs to be called out. Um, and I, I think as we were talking that the... The core of that, you know, when you're in that zone, when you're really in the zone of experiencing your unworthiness and your total acceptance is based on God's gift of His love for you, it it it, it, it washes out that judgmental. Th- you're not, you don't feel that that need because your mm-hmm. security is in Him, mm-hmm. but that insecurity or that mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> compare. And um, you feel that freedom. And I grew up in a very, <clears throat> you know, behavioral-based religion, and mm-hmm. and that when we first experienced in the gospel, and it was it was through twelve, it was through um, you know, um, Campus Crusade, and through that's how we heard the gospel, the wall of wall back in the revival mm-hmm. work in Brave. It's such a freeing. Experience and you have that judgmental, that critical attitude, and you're very accepting of people. Something that I learned after you know reading this Bible is that God loves us, you know, mm-hmm. and since He loves us, mm-hmm. He doesn't make a difference in anybody. Mm-hmm. So why would I make a difference, you know, yeah. or treat yeah. someone differently if the Lord doesn't? I don't have if the Lord doesn't know yeah. who is God, the powerful Lord, my who am I to? And, and our, our tendency to judge those who are judging, which is the liberal versus the conservative, uh-huh. our tendency to judge those who judge uh, has got to go, too. Has got yeah. to go, too. Yeah. Yeah. It has to, it has well, to unfortunately, stop. I think it's a kind of a, a default for us to go to judgment. And, um, and it's hard to... Like when you were talking about when when you heard the gospel, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to like stay in that. Oh, it is. It's yeah. very hard, and mm-hmm. and I'm wondering how how God, mm-hmm. what was it that He was? Well, obviously, Jesus came here to show us an example of how to live in non-judgment, but I'm not sure how He did it as a human. Because He's, our defaults always he, his it goes default. There. He, he he had a different so. default. He chose a default of, I need you, God, yeah. in my life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he was constantly in prayer. Mm-hmm. He said, I, I of myself can do nothing. He completely recognized right. that he did not have it. And for us to always be in that mind frame mm-hmm. is very intentional. And well, very and it, it takes more than just that. It's, it's like Jesus said the parable of uh, the man who chased out all the demons yes. of his house. And he got completely free, and he had an empty house. And a few days later, about seven demons, the worse than the demon he had kicked out, came back looking for a place to live. And they saw this house all swept up and clean, and they said, oh, this is is a great place, let's move in. (laughs) Oh, Um, and it happens so often. And I think that that's what we're dealing with, unless we replace the judging with something better. Okay. Something that embraces, which would be the love of Jesus. Right. Unless we feel are filled with the love of Jesus, we're just going to go. That's still our default. Right. I think what that's so much of us judging ourselves. Right. Too. You got. I'm just doing a testing for a young adult. You know, a couple of days ago, and he just ninety percentile beating himself up, you yeah. know, and just putting himself down, and, and it just it destroys your whole. I'm looking at all the other traits and stuff. It makes it makes you. I'm using it is, you know, this was their, their self worth and their 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 which their self talk. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about mm-hmm. this, we, and we're so hard on ourselves. We just in, in the gospel is the answer to that too, and we exactly. Feel, we feel total love and acceptance, even though we don't we don't even begin to measure. We feel love and acceptance. It's like when a kid or we're working with someone, they begin to find that, internalize that that they have value and worth. Someone gives them value and worth from the outside, and they can have. It. Well, isn't that the whole works mechanism is an attempt to gain our value? And our society just pumps that into young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, social media <coughs> is, is just Visual. really, really bad that way. It's really, I, I think that's when we, we you know, it, Sabbath is kind of the only, it's kind of like uh, Frankel's, I mean, uh, we, Heschel's, where you, Sabbath is, should be this place where no performance is all week long. Everything yeah. we do is based on performance. Right? That's right. And so it is so hard, no matter how bright you are, we it's so hard to get the gospel through our heads or into our bodies. Because mm-hmm. we just everything is a fight against it. Then all of a sudden, sound, oh, we're totally accepted and loved unconditionally. Right. Huh? Right. How does that work? Right. <laughs> it didn't work the rest of the week. It didn't no. work the rest of the week. No. I get fired if I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and um, there was a famous theologian that I, it's so famous I don't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> probably me, it's probably me, because you may remember that. Um, he said that theology, talking about theology, which is basically what, how we judge, you know, based on what we believe That's is true, true. Yeah. based on what we believe the Bible says. Mm-hmm. He says uh, theology, and I would even argue that the Bible itself, it's the way to know God, but it's not God. Mm-hmm. God is above all that. Mm-hmm. So if, if I judge people by what I think it's the Bible says, mm-hmm. what I, or what even the Bible says, mm-hmm. I always have to remind mm-hmm. myself, you know, God is above the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yet, it's... She's, yeah, God alone is infallible. 
And, and he and he is ultimately the judge of yeah, everything. Thank you. That's and he's the judge that's of love. Good. And that that's that's how I approach that. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. That's, mm. like that. that's a good note to end on. Yeah. <laughs> so good we have only one minute and I think we're probably gonna use that in one minute to pray. Okay. Thank you. Gracious Father, we we come to your table uh, knowing that we don't have it together even though we pretend we do. We pretend that even to ourselves because we're broken and it hurts to be broken and we tend to not realize that your love is, is available to each of us to mend us and to make us whole. And once we accept that love, we then can uh, love and trust you. And in that love and trust, love our neighbors ourselves and not judge them. So we come to you asking for your love to be in our hearts, to heal us of our brokenness, to heal us of our insecurities, to give us value, to give us worth, and to remind us that you are above all and you alone are the source of love. We only love because you first loved us. So we pray for this and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.